good to be with you. If you don't mind, repeat after me. I am not what I have. I am not what I do. I am not what other people think about me. I am not what I think about me. I am a beloved child of God. Amen. Your identity, my identity, is based on a love of God that we have a hard time comprehending. A steadfast love of God who knows you and me better than we know ourselves. I wonder what it would look like if we lived life from that reality. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. May your Holy Spirit guide our imagination and shape our attentiveness and awareness as we explore your word this morning. Thank you for your son Jesus. And it's in his name and through the power of your Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. If you're just joining us, as Blake said, we're in the midst of a new series called Journey Life. And that journey life happens to be an adjective describing what it looks like for you and I to navigate life. And we're highlighting a variety of different Old Testament characters. And we hope that as we navigate these different characters, that their stories, um, their journeys will inform and shape and encourage ours as we navigate life. uh, Because our lives are journeys, right? Filled with tons of ups and downs and twists and turns and joys and disappointments. In other words, I don't know if you've thought about this recently, but our life um, can be incredibly in tune with God. And at times can be incredibly messy. Yes? We'll say that again. Let me get like a, a, this almost like a uh, disruptive amen. Your life and my life can often be radically in tune with God and at times can also be really messy. Well... We don't, if you don't believe that, maybe you will before long. It gets messy. It's okay. So we're, we're still working through Abraham. And Les did a great job last Sunday of simply providing the complexities that we find Abraham and Sarah in. And, and we're going to have some overlap today. However, today we're going to be exploring faithful patience. And what it looks like to explore this conversation of waiting on the promises of God. But before we dig into that, I want to put two questions back before you that we brought up last week. One, what are you waiting for? Just think about it for a moment. What are you waiting for? Maybe it's a series of things, but what are you waiting for? Second question, how are you waiting for it? What are you waiting for and how are you waiting for it? Many of you probably grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, yes? Brian Holloway and I have a couple of friends that are deeply invested in the life of Fred Rogers and have explored him deeply and um, they've shared a number of different things with us. Um, He's pictured here with Daniel Tiger. Uh, one of the favorite characters on Mr. Ro- or in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He's kind and he's gentle. He's caring. He's pretty vulnerable. 
He has a lot of phrases that maybe you remember. He's fond of saying things like, sometimes I wonder if I'm a mistake. Right? He wonders if he's a mistake. He wonders sometimes if he's too tame. And I don't know if you know this. I did not know this. But in the intro sequence of every episode, as the camera pans out on the neighborhood that Mr. Rogers lives in, it zooms into his house. And before you and I ever see Fred Rogers or hear him singing a song, there's a traffic light blinking. And it's blinking yellow. Over and over again, blinking yellow. Over 30 years, almost a thousand episodes, this subtle image of a traffic light blinking yellow. Maybe it's a hint. Maybe just a subtle invitation. And whether Fred was speaking to other, about something, whether he was hosting a guest, or whether he was tackling a big issue that the world was going through, maybe he was just playing with his friends in the neighborhood of make-believe. It seems like every moment of the show, Fred asked us to do this. Slow down, be considerate, and be aware. You'll hear that repeated over and over and over again. I didn't know this. As a child, Fred Rogers was bullied pretty pretty viciously. And this bullying that he went through actually kind of stirred his heart for the things that he did in public television. He said this, I began a lifelong search for what was essential. That's what he said about his childhood. And then he says, "What what is it about my neighbor that doesn't meet the eye? It seems like the surface of things often disturbs us. And because of that, we don't usually get the whole picture. He says, then we make bad decisions or um, we feel scared and upset. But what would happen if you and I developed the habits of slowing down, being considerate, and being aware? So let's do a little bit of that this morning. Let's listen to the story of Abraham even a little bit closer and a little bit slower. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 11 in your Bibles. If you don't have a physical copy with you, you probably have some sort of smart device where you can go to it rather quickly. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11, 27 through 32, and we're going to stay parked in this area. I'm fascinated by the fact that the author of Genesis has worked through 11 chapters, chapters 1 through 11. And there is a ton happening in chapters 1 through 11. They all deserve a lot of time. And and the author has brought us to this point with Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarah at the time. And it seems like the author of Genesis invites readers to slow down and pay careful attention to what is being said from Adam to Seth to Noah to Shem. And then, like the camera in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, the camera zooms in on the episode, or this particular episode, in Abram and Sarah's life. And for the next 14 chapters in Genesis. Get that, right? 1 through 11 had a lot happening, and then he zeroes in on the next 14 chapters all the way to the death of Abram in chapter 25. And then in 26, we pick up with Isaac, which was where Leslie will pick up next week. And you're going to hear a familiar promise. So think about this recap. I'm not going to go through it all. But over and over, well, let me ask you this. Tell me this doesn't sound like you and me as parents sometimes, okay? Over and over and over and over again, it's as if God has to reiterate the promise to Abram over 
and over again. So Abram and Sarah are 75 and 65 years old when he says, I'm going to give you land and I'm going to make you a great nation, so go. And he says, like dust of the earth and stars in the sky, you won't be able to count or number your offspring. Well, another decade passes. They're now 85 and 75, well past the age of having children. And he says, remember, I've made a covenant with you, or I'm making a covenant with you, and I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to multiply you greatly. You're going to be a multitude of nations. And Abram says, but when? Like, when is this going to happen? How much longer? I'm still childless. We remain childless. And then another 13 years pass. Abraham is now 99 years old. And he experiences, and Sarah experiences, name changes. Abram becomes Abraham, and Sarah becomes Sarah. Sarah becomes Sarah. And he says, and by the way, this time next year, that kid I've been promising you, you're going to have it. Of course, they laugh. He tells them to name him Isaac, which means he laughs. So the Lord speaks again. And we have that question, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then we find out that Isaac is born that next year just as God has promised. Just real quickly. Zoom in a little bit more and slow down. Let's go to Genesis chapter 11, 27 through 32 and read this again. You're going to see this several times. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205, and Terah died in Haran. We're going to slow down a little bit more. And I want you to notice the promises. You've read them over and over again, and we're going to read them over again today. But look at Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, just a page over. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I, I will show you that land. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Here's what's wild. To our naked eye, we don't see some of the things that are actually here. Um, Slow down and notice some of the details and the irony in the story. Abram's name means exalted father. So imagine reading exalted father over and over and over again in chapter 11 until you get to that last part and you find out that Sarai is barren. Again, they're 75 and 65 years old. And they've already experienced a lifetime of disappointment. And really, all I want to say, I talked with friends all week about this. And all I want to say is, may we be sensitive and considerate and aware of the reality and pain that Abraham and Sarah have been through for 65 and 75 years. It had to be hard. It had to be grueling in ways I can't even imagine. Exalted Father... You will be a father of many nations, but your wife is barren. Now, here's what's interesting about the word barren. It's not 
just a physiological matter that we read about. It's actually a symbol in the Old Testament. Barrenness actually means people without a promise. So yes, in the context of individuals, it does mean they're sometimes barren, but it means people without a promise. So think about the human, or at least the way of human history that you know and that I know. Think about your own history. And think about, what, think about barrenness as a metaphor for hopelessness. But in the midst of hopelessness, God's giving or life-giving action takes place. And Abraham and Sarah had been hopeless for a really long time. So maybe we should slow down, be considerate, and be a little bit more aware as far as what's going on. Put your ear a little bit closer to the text. We're going to look at it again. Notice the echo of God's original creation narrative in 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse you. I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but check this out. Adam and Eve, Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, God says to them. He says to Noah in Genesis 9, after he has flooded the earth and wiped everything off the earth, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, and I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring. And now to Abram, from Abraham, Adam, to Seth, to Noah, to Shem, to Abram. We have an amazing story unfolding before us. And God creates the cosmos by spoken word. And here in Genesis 12, he calls a new people into being by the power of his word. God is still creating life. God is still making things new. It's amazing. And so here's at least one powerful thing I want you to commit to memory today. Um, God can create the possible out of an impossible situation. Yes? It's sometimes hard for us to wrap our minds around, but God can create a possible or the possible out of an impossible situation. And that question comes back up. Is anything really too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? So maybe slow down, be considerate, and be aware. Here's something to contemplate just a little bit. Um, I admire, I said to Susie this week, I think it was Susie. I know it was Cheryl, wherever Cheryl and Stan are. I don't know what it was. The more I read this story and over again, I just got annoyed with Abraham more and more and more. I, I think I even said to Stan, like, I don't know if I like this guy or not. But here's what happened over the course of the week is, is I really have an appreciation for Abraham and Sarah, and I think it will ex- be self-explanatory here in a minute. Um, but you and I are invited to be kind and compassionate and tender to their circumstances and their response to life. Because here's the thing. Thanks to the author of Genesis, who we really don't know who authored it all, but Abraham and Sarah, right, they didn't have the opportunity or the benefit of selecting which parts of their life or their story to showcase. Yes? Um, Their misdemeanors, their mistakes, and their mishaps, their stories, their experiences, they weren't managing their Instagram accounts. Are you with me? They weren't even managing their Be Real accounts, William. All right? Somebody else was. The Genesis author is putting it all out there for them. In fact, it seems like, other than like the good stuff, it seems like all they tend to do is put all the bad stuff out there. 
Let's put their worst moments out there. Let's broadcast their worst moments in life. How about that for your Facebook feed and your Instagram feed and whatever else it is that you're feeding the internet with? Instead of all the stuff we put up there, just tomorrow and this week, put all your worst stuff out there. Everything you've ever done wrong, everything you just show them what's really inside of us, right? They didn't have that choice. Yes. I love this about Abraham. Yes. He occasionally responds in faith, but he often responds with fear and self-protection. And I love it because Abraham and Sarah, they are models of faith, but they're far from perfect. And that should give you and I a little bit of encouragement. They are not the perfect model for what it means to walk closely all the time. You and I see the real them. They're humans. They exhibit brokenness and beauty just like the rest of us. Uh, and they aren't the exception, so they are the norm of humanity, right? In fact, if we're reading closely, I love this. Are you ready for this, Blake? Abram's circumstances highlight and mirror Israel's story with God. If you are an Israelite reading the book of Genesis years down the road, and you're reading Abram's story, probably at some point you go, that's us. That's us. That's what we do. This is who we are. Um, so maybe... Um, as you think about this a little bit more, you're going to find that the Israelites, Abraham, sometimes finds himself deeply rooted and oriented in God. Sometimes Israel and Abraham are deeply disoriented and off track with God. And sometimes they're reoriented with God. But guess what? There's more. If you read closer, Abraham's circumstances highlight and mirror our story with God. If you're really honest with yourself about your relationship with the creator of the universe, and if I am, my guess is that there are times in your life and my life when I feel deeply in tune and oriented with God, yes? And there are times that the world gets the best of us and life gets the best of us, and we find ourselves disoriented and off track with God. But then we find those moments where we're reoriented. So maybe, just maybe, we should exercise a little caution when it comes to using words like us and them when it comes to the human experience because we never know the full story especially when we're talking about patience promises and waiting because the human experience is complex and it makes us ask questions about whether or not um or, or really what it means to develop a faithful patience in this lifetime but it also means that we've got to contemplate what it means to wait on the promises of god so patience, what is it? I decided to consult experts on this. I consulted the fifth graders here at Hendersonville Church of Christ. You're in here. You know who you are. And we have faces that if I make eye contact, you're supposed to snarl at me or make some kind of goofy face. Um, but these are questions. I consulted the experts, okay? Um, I want you to hear their input, and as I promised, um, everything's anonymous, all right? So, parents, you're safe. Um, I will not divulge any of these answers or to who they're related to, but I asked them these three questions. What does patience mean? Got it? What does patience mean? What's the hardest thing about waiting? And name something you've waited on or something you've had to wait for. So, are you ready for this? Here's our fifth graders. What does patience mean? Having to wait on someone or something. Hmm. 
Pretty good. Patience means to wait or wait on something. Still good stuff. Check this out. It's a way of staying calm. Hmm, fifth grader. Check this one out. Patience is a way of life. Peace. You must have it. You know, if you put a Yoda spin on that, it's going to sound a lot like Yoda. Great answer. It's a way of life. What's the hardest thing about waiting? Having to find something else to do while you wait because you get bored while you're waiting. Staying still. Hmm. You're excited about what you're waiting on. That's the hardest thing about waiting. The hardest thing is to know something is coming and you have to wait for it. Name something you've had to wait for or wait on. They get really specific. That sleepover. Food. My cousins. We're always waiting on our cousins. Maybe one of my favorites. Dessert. Like this is what was on their mind as they're eating candy and things in class, Cheryl. Right? Um, That's my fault too. Um, Here you go. I'm waiting for my mom to stop embarrassing me. I'm still waiting. My Amazon package was delayed. Fifth grader, right? Somebody in here has a, has a purchase on their account that you didn't know about, and it's delayed. It might be a thousand crickets in a box. You never know. My sister. We're always waiting on my sister. That's all there is to it. I think they're on to something, though, friends. I think that as I've talked to parents in in other classes, our children are deeply spiritual. They have within them um, this DNA that they are created in the image of God, and they're aware of things, but they're on to something. But here are a few words that Old Testament and New Testament authors convey when you and I see the word patience. Long-tempered, long-suffering, forbearance, The ability to endure for a long time. And just for clarification, patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if you haven't thought about this, it's a characteristic of God. It's a fruit because it's something that the Spirit has to shape and grow within us. It's a kingdom-shaped patience that develops over time. And friends, it affects how you and I interact with this world. And we could do an entire message on what that looks like. But the kind of patience that we're exploring today involves a little bit more. It includes all these things, and they're related, and we'll get there. But what about promises? This one's tough. And this can be really tricky for Christians. And so we've got to exercise caution when it comes to what we as disciples of Jesus think or have been told that we are promised. We're not promised a perpetual wonderful life. We're never promised a problem-free, happy life filled with all the material things that we want or believe that we deserve. In fact, Jesus would say, don't store up your treasures here on this earth. Scripture tells us that we will, in fact, experience trouble. Suffering is a part of the human narrative. And you and I, these are hard, please. You and I are not promised safety. We're not promised security. We're not promised prominence or influence or power. In fact, Jesus said, guess what? When the world hates you, 
Remember it hated me first. Jesus wasn't always safe, wasn't always secure. And we know from Jesus' own lips that we're supposed to consider how the Heavenly Father feeds the birds and the air and how he clothes the lilies and the grass. And he says, are you not of more value than what they are? Our Heavenly Father knows what we need, but he goes on to say, seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be worked out if you seek the kingdom. In addition, the psalmist reminds us that the Lord is our shepherd. Isn't that awesome? When you think about how messy this life can be, isn't it great that we have a shepherd? A shepherd that walks with us, that's present with us, that leads us, that restores us, that prepares a table for us and anoints our head. He does want good for you and he wants good for me. In fact, you are his handiwork. You are created by him to do good works and he's prepared those good works in advance. Um, but let's think about this. Um, what are we promised? This is where I want to get to. There's several things I could have said today with this. But I think these three capture some of the biggest things. And Blake, you captured it beautifully with our songs today, especially this last song. Here's the first thing you and I are promised. I am with you always until the end of the age. It's Matthew 28, 20, as he's, tell, as he's leaving his disciples. No matter what you and I are going through, he is with us. And that is hard for us to wrap our minds around because it doesn't always end up the way we think it should end up. But he is present with us. We are promised his presence. And it directly links to the second promise. Wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. He tells them in Acts 1 verse 4, the Holy Spirit's coming, a helper is coming, something valuable, more valuable than me being with you here on earth is coming. So this Holy Spirit that actually dwells inside of you and shapes you is a part of the narrative. It's part of what, it's part of what helps us through as we're navigating this life and when God is with us, when Jesus is with us. And maybe, not maybe, I shouldn't even have said maybe, the most in promise, the most important promise that we've been promised Behold, I'm making all things new. Revelation 21.5. I am making all things new. In other words, the return of Jesus, and with him the kingdom in its fullness, the new heaven, the new earth, the end of brokenness, the moment when every tear will be wiped away, there will be no more pain, we will be reunited with those who have gone on before us, and we'll experience resurrected and redeemed bodies and friends, this has to be the most essential promise that you and I are patiently longing for and we're waiting for this to happen. We're waiting for the Lord to come again. Um, so think about this in conjunction with Abraham and Sarah. One thing is for sure as we get out of the story is God is a promise keeper and a way maker. He keeps his promises. And it seems difficult when we're going through the trials of life, but he keeps his promises. So what is this waiting in this golden calf-shaped culture, it makes it really difficult to wait. What's it mean to wait on the promises of God? I think our fifth graders did a pretty good job of explaining what it looks like. And I just consolidated this. The hardest thing about waiting on this promise from God is that you're excited about what you're waiting for. How could you not be? Given the promises that God has made, we wait with confidence. 
We wait with anticipation and excitement. We wait with the expectation that God will keep his promise and that Jesus is going to return and make all things new. But you and I in this, we actively wait by participating in the kingdom now, which is the very last, I guess it's the, I don't know which verse it was in that song, it's what it was saying. You and I are the kingdom now. We represent the kingdom. And so you and I, our role while we're here is to live and operate in such a way that we provide glimpses of what's to come. When you don't know what else to say to someone, you are able to point to the future and say at some point, this is going to be the reality of what will happen. And it should provide hope. And then you and I, check this out, you and I have no excuse. We should be absolutely ecstatic and find every reason to be outwardly focused as a church because we want everyone to know about this Jesus and these promises that he makes. This kind of active waiting shapes us, informs us to kingdom opportunities. And this active waiting is about learning how to wait while we live now. It hones our insight. It gives us time and space and perspective. It attunes us to the invisible. And it invites kingdom participation. So church, it's not just about Abraham and Sarah. How are we waiting now in lieu of the promises that God has made to us? Church, hear that. How are we as a church in this county within whatever radius you want to put on, how are we waiting now in the lieu of those promises when it comes to others? And in what ways will we become a waiting church or a waiting people? What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the promises of God? Or are you like me and you're often conflicted by the promises made by our adversary? Remember our adversary made some promises, tried to tempt Jesus with some promises. What are you waiting for? How are you waiting for it? Are you sitting around? Am I sitting around? Is our church sitting around idly, twiddling our thumbs, waiting on the return of Jesus? Or are we as a church looking out there and on the look for what it means to be engaged in this world, participating in the kingdom now? Maybe here's one of my favorite things, just a small twist. Jesus is actively waiting on us. I love that. We are the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises, but Jesus is preparing a place for us. He's prepared good work for us to do in advance. That's pretty exciting. I can get excited about this kind of stuff, and it can change our entire perspective, and it can change the way that we see people. So my last question to you is this. Is that a, jo- is that a journey that you want to join? And if you haven't, consider it. But go ahead and stand with us as we sing.